My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is a husband, father, and the editor-in-chief at Swan Bitcoin. Please welcome Tomer Strolite. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. Men, we're living in wartime. No, not in Ukraine. War has been declared on you and me, our families, our bodies, our spirits, our churches, our children, and most importantly, our money. How can war be declared on money, you might ask? Through inflation. Rather than attacking the physical thing itself, the bills, or increasingly the digits in the bank account, why not attack the value behind money? Don't attack the dollar, attack its worth. Make a dollar worth 99 cents, then 90 cents, then 80, and eventually nothing. And congratulations, you've just won the war against money, which is winning the war against men and the life force they pour into creating value. Think of it like the generational war that's clearly being waged on testosterone. Why attack men's physical bodies from the outside when you can reduce the hormone most responsible for them being men on the inside? It's much easier, and better yet, it's plausibly deniable too. Who, us? We'd never do such a thing, say the powers that be. And if you're still listening to them, why are you listening to this podcast? But here's the good news. There's a weapon in the war against money. Bitcoin, a way to store wealth that is resistant to inflation by design. If you know how to store Bitcoin, it's secure. Once you understand its design, Bitcoin's records are immutable. And once you understand the technology, you see how Bitcoin is indestructible. This is my fourth episode about Bitcoin, so if you want to understand those aspects of it, I recommend my podcasts with Laser Hoddle, The Bitcoin Coach, and Alex Svetsky, which are all linked in the show notes. But there's another undeniable aspect of Bitcoin. It creates a spiritual transformation in the men who understand it. Yes, I know that sounds crazy, but it's undeniably true. I'm living proof, and I'm not alone. Once you look at it, really look at it and appreciate what's going on, the gray rain curtain of this world pulls back just a little bit, and you get a glimpse into the possibility of a brighter, better world. What might that world look like? That's the best part we get to use our imaginations. Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Tomer Strolite, and he's a husband, father, author, and the editor-in-chief at Swan Bitcoin. Alex Svetsky had Tomer and I on his podcast several months ago, debating the merits of psychedelics. Tomer and I got into it, and as men often do with those we have fun arguing with, we became friends. And I thought it might be fun to explore something beyond our differences, and instead let men hear how much we have in common for our hope for the world and for the possibilities of a renewed human civilization, of which Bitcoin is just a part. In our conversation, Tomer and I discussed some big ideas, which are my favorites. The government versus the laws of the universe. 
disposability and inflation, how money doesn't need government, Bitcoin and honor, pure money and peaceful trade, why Bitcoin is a declaration of peace, Bitcoin derangement syndrome, and Bitcoin as a truth machine. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. This podcast is growing fast this year, and it's because of you. So if you enjoy this podcast, please go on doing what you're doing and share this episode with a friend. Also, please leave a five-star rating on Spotify or a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts so the Renaissance of Men can reach more people. A couple bits of exciting news. I've just announced the first edition of the Renaissance of Men digital conference series on Saturday, March 25th. This will be an all-day event streamed live via Zoom where my guests will discuss six vital virtues behind what it means to be a man. The lineup features Will Nolan from Nolan Knows discussing resilience, Ryan King from The Wisdom of Kings discussing heroism, Nate Spearing from the Life on Target podcast discussing courage, King David, now known as John David, the world's only quit porn strategist, discussing self-mastery, Lawson Speaks of Lawson Speaks Truth on Instagram discussing determination, and last but definitely not least, friend of the podcast Mike Pantile discussing boldness. This is my Blitzkrieg offensive to bring the virtue pill to thousands of men around the world, shifting the dialogue from what men do to what men are and what men are for. I hope you'll join us and be a part of it. Keep listening to find out more or visit renofmen.com slash conference to buy tickets. Use the code podcast to take $5 off the ticket price. Also, I'm hosting the first ever Renaissance of Men men's retreat here in Phoenix on the weekend of April 1st, just one week after the conference. No, that's not an April Fool's joke. I've rented a luxury Airbnb and all food will be provided prepared by a trained chef. My mentor Glenn will be coming out to share his wisdom and experience, and I'll be planning and facilitating a weekend of outdoor activities, brotherhood, and deep connection. If this sounds good to you, email me at infoatrenofmen.com to learn more and schedule an explore call to see if there's a fit with this close-knit group of men. Once again, email infoatrenofmen.com to learn more about the Renaissance of Men men's retreat and visit renofmen.com slash conference to purchase tickets to the first edition of my digital conference series. And please welcome this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, the editor-in-chief at Swan Bitcoin, my friend, Tomer Strolight. Hey, Tomer, thanks for joining me on the podcast. That's good to be here, Will. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to diving into many of your perspectives on Bitcoin because, um, as I think you probably hear pretty often, I, I don't hear anyone write about Bitcoin in the way that you do. And you have this way of recontextualizing this massive system that I think a lot of people have trouble understanding technically. Um, and that's that's its own challenge. But the philosophical and sometimes even theological and sometimes social and cultural implications of Bitcoin are almost even more massive. And you have this way of framing things that I think um, is, is really engaging and invite, invites people in. So I've been looking forward to digging into some of your perspectives. Oh, I appreciate uh, you noticing. I, I, do try to, <laughs> I do try to write about Bitcoin in a way that is non-technical, that is accessible to people who aren't already computer scientists or highly technical or high, highly into economics and economic theory, uh, but in a way that connects to the human side of it and the, and the human story behind it uh, and the emotional story. And as you said, the sociological, theological, spiritual aspects of 
what really moves people because I, I find people are very moved by Bitcoin and they can't quite put their finger on it. And I think that's what I've been trying to release, you know, not to try to rationalize and say, look, it makes so much sense on a logical perspective, on an economic theory perspective, but to really open one's heart and one's mind to it and say, well, this is why you're moved by it. This is the story. And so I've got, I've got pieces that I've written about why Bitcoin causes a spiritual awakening for so many people. And it's the story behind it and what it shows or why some people think it's alien technology because it's so different mm. from other technologies or why some people think it's like the first artificial form of form of artificial life. Mm. And, and when you start to explore some of those ideas, they sound kind of crazy at first, but as you get more into them, they, they start sounding a lot less crazy and the rest of the world seems more crazy. Right. Right. Well said. So I, I want to dig into this real quick because people who, who don't know about Bitcoin, right. And when they encounter people who are informed about it, um, like you and, and me and, and many others, there's a way in which I think to the, to the outsider, let's say it's like, you guys are, you guys sound crazy. Like, how can you be so enthusiastic for something? And they almost, and they, they don't, they almost don't believe it. And, and, and they can't really see it because there seems to be this, um, I'm not sure how I would, I'm not, not sure how I would call it. There was this, there's a, there's a belief. There's a component of belief and a component of faith and a co component of hope and inspiration. And that, that almost takes on, um, and well, religious aspects in, in the, in the best possible way. We'll start with that now. And, and maybe you can help break down like some of your thinking about this human side of Bitcoin, because that's one of the things that I struggle to communicate to people who are outside who have heard about Bitcoin and they see my enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of others. And they say, Oh, that's just cryptocurrency. Like, isn't, isn't it fake money and all that's like, no, Bitcoin is not the same thing as cryptocurrency and they get that, but yeah. they don't get that. There's so much more to it. Well, it's such a complicated story. And so it's hard when you approach someone new who's lived their whole life in a particular regime, like in a particular empire, we've lived in the empire of the U S dollar. And, yeah. and that's been the money of the world. And, and you don't really ask the question, well, what is money or what is the U S dollar or how does it, how does it come to have spending power? Mm -hmm. You just yeah. accept that the government has all the government issues money, like right, even there, the money is made by the government of the most powerful nation in the world. And you take it for granted and you don't question it, but it hasn't always been that way. M money was a piece of metal for a long time. And even before that it was beads or seashells or, or something else. And so you, and that, that's just what it was materially. And like, what did it actually represent and what did it stand for? Mon money is the ability to trade peacefully with somebody else it, so, for something, for something that you don't have a mutual agreement on what you need from them and what they need from you. Like if I'm, if I'm a chef and you're a shoemaker we can't always get together. I don't need a new pair of shoes every day and you can't make me a new pair of shoes every day. But with money, I can buy the shoes. I, you know, you can pay me for a meal 200 days a year and I can then save that up and then go and buy shoes from the shoemaker or, or things like that. So money is really what allows us to specialize, to concentrate, to differentiate and to trade peacefully with one another. It's a very, very important aspect of human civilization not just modern civilization, but human civilization. And there's something very broken about 
this notion of government issued money. There's somebody who gets to issue it and they can issue and, and they're an appointed individual and they operate in these kind of secretive organizations called central banks, which have other appointed people in it. And we don't really know we're told that it's for our own good, but if you save your money, it loses 99% of its purchasing power over the course of a lifetime. And that's really a form of theft that people are not taught of again. They don't, the school that they provide you with doesn't teach you that someone's getting that value away from you. So if I step back from it for a minute, Bitcoin is this invention that somebody came up with, someone who kept their identity secret, because if you make up money other than the one that the government issues, you go to jail, right? They, they bring the full <laughs> yeah. force against you. So somebody created this money that it, w- it was such a genius invention because they managed to create it in a way that the government can't stop. And that's one of the first questions that newcomers come. They say, well, if, you know, if someone creates a new money, the government will just stop it. And then you go into, well, that's the beauty of this invention. It can't be stopped because... The way the technology works is it's decentralized and it's unstoppable and it consumes energy and you need the energy to offset. And so they get confused or they say, well, if they can't stop it, then they'll really want to stop it. And you, you kind of sometimes end up in a, in a feedback loop with individuals who just were shocked by the notion that there's something that the government can't stop. And this, is, this again becomes a spiritual thing. Well, what can't the government stop? And you realize, oh, my well, at first you say, well, the government can't stop the laws of physics. It can't stop the laws of math. And that's one of these aha moments. And this is where for some people it becomes spiritual, right? They can't stop the laws that exist in the universe created by God, right? And so, mm-hmm. and so this is where this, this connection of Bitcoin obeys only the laws of math and the laws of physics. It doesn't obey the laws of man. That, so suddenly here's this thing that's been invented that, uh, that, Man just decides that. But when you actually think about it, you realize the government can ban things, but that doesn't stop them. The government can punish certain individuals for doing things, but those things don't stop. There's still murder. There's still drugs, right? There's like, you know, there's a a great meme that says, I want to congratulate drugs for winning the war on drugs. And there's all these (laughs) pictures because you can't stop it. And, and, And the reason you can't stop it is because Drugs are, for the most part, like if you think of marijuana, it's a plant and it grows and it grows anywhere that you plant a seed. It's like stopping dandelions. You can't stop it. And Bitcoin, like a dandelion, is completely decentralized. Like anywhere that a seed, that a node that runs, it's the whole thing. And so you, you have to take out, every, you, in the same way, you'd have to kill every dandelion and crush every dandelion seed in the world to eradicate dandelions. You pretty much have to do the same thing with Bitcoin. And Bitcoin has tens of thousands of nodes all over the world. There's backups that they hide one right over there. Services, yeah, right. So, so now, now the government knows to come and uh, take you out. But there's, but even if they take you out, it has no impact on Bitcoin. So they have to have a, and it's not just, of course, in one country. Bitcoin's a global phenomenon. So all the governments across the whole world would have to find every single Bitcoin node and simultaneously shut every single one of them down. And so. We start to get into this this really amazing story of Bitcoin. That somebody came up with this invention. They solved this problem called the double spend problem, which goes by a couple of other names. That was proven to be unsolvable. Well, this person came up with a practical solution to the theoretically impossible to solve problem. It is what makes Bitcoin work. It works in a decentralized manner. The person then proceeded to disappear might have been more than one person nobody really knows but they proceeded to disappear and the thing kept operating on its own living on its own unstoppable by governments 
inimitable by corporations. Like it's been imitated and attempted to be knocked off so many times, but nothing ever lasts. So these most powerful corporations in the world, which have so much power over our lives, tried to imitate this thing or tried to stop it and couldn't. And so it shatters all these beliefs that we have that like the government issues money or the government can control everything. The government can tell us what to do. You can't have your privacy. You can't invent things that experts say they've proven can't be invented. All of these stories come together around this one thing called Bitcoin. And by the time you've educated yourself on it, you've had your world turned upside down. It's like the powers that we're told are all powerful. They're not all powerful. There are greater powers than them. And, and what we're told, the, 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 I'd say the other piece is like, we're told, look, human beings are just greedy, selfish beings. Everything they do, they do for money. They do it for power. They do it for fame. And well, look at who invented this thing. They didn't do it for the money for themselves because they disappeared and left all the money behind. They didn't do it for power because they never exercised any power. They're gone. They disappeared. And they didn't do it for fame. We don't even know who they are. Right? They're completely anonymous in the, in the real yeah. world. And so, it's a, so someone came up with this incredible invention that stands in the face of all these things that we're told. And they didn't do it for the reasons we're told are the, are the only reasons we do all these things for. So it is this profound story with this incredible... And when you hear it and, and you believe it and you, and you see it and you test it, it says, okay, well, then the world isn't the world that I thought I was in. I don't live in a world where I have to be greedy for fame, power, or money. I don't live in a world where the government can dictate everything that I do. I don't live in a world where corporations can knock off anything that I do and, t- and take it over. Through this one story, I actually live in a world where all of those things are not true. And that's where a lot of the hope comes from, right? I'm not mm-hmm. oppressed. The only laws that I have to obey are the laws of nature. Um, and I, I may choose to obey many of the laws of man, but I don't have to obey them because I'm told to. I choose to obey them because I choose, because I judge them to be moral and worthy of pursuing. And and Bitcoin also does this other thing, right? Like, whereas the other money is said to you, you must use this money. You must pay taxes in this money. Bitcoin is not forced on anyone. Bitcoin is money that when you evaluate it under whatever conditions you consider to be your choice, then you can choose it. So it's a very slow movement because every single person who's in Bitcoin has chosen Bitcoin. It's not every single person who's an American. Many people in the world want to be Americans, but many Americans are that way because they were born that way. Nobody is born a Bitcoiner, not yet. Uh, And even in the future, and and even in the future, it's still it's not forced on you at the point of a gun, right? Like someone may say, well, I only accept Bitcoin. So if you don't, if you don't want to pay me in Bitcoin, then we can't do business together. But it's different from, from saying there's an authority that has an army and a police force and they require, they have passed a law that says that you must accept Bitcoin. It's, it's open free money for the world. Eventually the choice becomes really obvious. So it becomes an easier choice than in these early days but it's money that's not forced on anyone. And uh, in, in my book, I had I, I, the first story that I wrote for it, although it's not first in appearance, is why choose Bitcoin? And I say, well, the fact that you can even ask the question is the answer. Right? Bitcoin is the only money that lets you choose it. So good. <laughs> All right. No, really. That's like, a no good opening rant, right? Yeah, no. And I really hope, I really hope everyone listening who isn't yet in Bitcoin goes back 
and listens and listens to that again and spends time to think carefully about the things that you just said because they're they're very very important they're very important things because i i think that the the first thing that a lot of people don't get is the way in which money money as we currently understand it run by central banks fiat currency is a form of enslavement that's what it is it's a weapon that's being used against humanity very quietly that we're conditioned over and and our parents you know have been conditioned over generations to just kind of accept that it just gradually loses value over time it's just inflation is just part of reality just watch the value of the money that you earn slowly bleed away from you or sometimes less slowly right yeah, and and that's that point yeah. yeah yeah and it's just a factor of life it's like well what does that actually mean why is that actually happening is it just an immutable force of nature and that was the that was the we'll say the physics of it or the theology of money that's presented to us and mm-hmm. bitcoin is is an invention a discovery uh, a, a series of philosophies who knows i can describe it so many different ways that says no this is not right. like inflation is not an immutable not law of nature there is another right. way yeah money that has work behind it before bitcoin yeah. the hard money enthusiasts were gold bugs gold advocates mm-hmm. i know some of them don't like that expression gold bugs but yeah. one of the first things that they'd point out is they say you know a certain amount of gold over the course of a thousand years has bought the same things to when those things haven't changed, right? Like you could always buy a man, a nice man's suit is the example. I think that they cite for about an ounce of gold or something, something like that for, for for 2000 years, right? So gold didn't lose its purchasing power is the point that they're making. They're saying inflation is an illusion. Inflation, the word actually comes from inflating the money supply, growing the money supply faster than the economy grows and, and prices would come down. And it's absolutely true. And sometimes we see very rapid inflation as we're, even seeing in the West right now, everyone can go to the supermarket. And if they were going to the supermarket three years ago, they know these prices seem to have doubled or come close in many cases or more in other cases. And any money that I'd set aside and the money that I'm earning every week hasn't gone up by a hundred percent. So I'm suddenly poor and I'm working just as hard. And so the question is if everyone's working just as hard, why is why are they able to buy less for the same amount of work? Harder. They're working harder. And and even harder. Let's so let's say everybody's working harder. The, did the laws of physics change? Does it take twice as much work to raise a chicken now? Does it take twice as much energy? No, everything's the same. So where has the wealth gone? Where has it been diverted to? Or where was it being diverted? who was it being diverted from to us beforehand and there's very complicated answers to these questions and there's very many different answers but the fact is is there are people who don't have to work hard for them you have to work hard for your money you have to earn it there are other people who get to conjure it into existence magically Mm -hmm. and in so doing they're essentially stealing from you because you still have to work for your money and now there's more money and nobody can tell the difference the money that they conjured into existence and the money you had to work for look exactly the same because it's it's the people who issued the money in the first place who are who are perpetrating this form of inflationary theft and that's this is one of the things that bitcoin fixes nobody can make bitcoin without working for it first of all and you know and this is where the government comes in and has such a big thing against it they say bitcoin's bad for the environment because you have to work for it you have to use energy well, work and energy are the same thing, right? And so you have to earn it. When we can give you money that's unearned, we can give it to you for free. 
but money that's created for nothing and, and therefore can only be exchanged for the work of people who work ends up diluting the, yeah. uh, what, what the work buys. And so the, it sounds so tempting to receive free money, but free money is money that's not offset by work to create anything. And so there's nothing more that it can buy. Nobody's done any more work to create anything new. So the money just buys less. And therein lies your problem. If you're still working for a living and you wonder why you can buy less, it's because somebody else got money for nothing and they're competing with you in the market to buy the things that you worked for and that they didn't. And all the, everything has to be produced, right? Nothing just comes into existence in the real world. And so that's the, this is a big part of the problem. And this is, this is what one of the big things that Bitcoin solves, it ends up solved. You end up seeing that so many things get broken. I'm sure we'll get into some of them, but mm. it solves the, it'll solve the inflation problem because it can't be inflated. There's a fixed amount mm. that will ever be produced. That amount reduces in percentage of the outstanding supply. And it also even gets cut in half more aggressively uh, as, as time goes on. And nobody can change this. This is part of the beauty of the invention because everybody, because you, for example, in running your Bitcoin node, enforce all these rules. And unless you and everybody else agrees, nobody can change it. No government can say, well, now there's going to be, there's only ever going to be 21 million. No government can say, well, we've reached our debt ceiling. We want to raise it to 25 million Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Unless you and everybody else agrees, your node will simply see any change that they attempt to make to it as violating the rules and ignoring it. And so the, we, yeah. you are a judge in this system, right? You are, you are the executive. You're executing the code and you're executing the code to judge any behavior that happens on the network as whether it complies by the rules or violates the rules. And if it violates the rules, nobody's punished. Nobody goes to jail. Nobody gets whipped. or You just ignore them. And so it's this very peaceful way of enforcing rules let's say the rules are the rules of the math of the system and nobody can violate them because i check every single thing that happens in the system to ensure compliance with the rules Mm -hmm. it's a it's a huge question of accountability Mm -hmm. that's really i mean and that's really the big question that i think is up for so many men right now for themselves and they're it's a fractal kind of thing like the issue for of accountability for men is who am I accountable to? Right. You know, the man asking themselves, well, you're, you've got to be accountable to a group of brothers, first of all, which is another, another topic. But, yeah. you know, okay. So if I'm accountable, who holds, who holds government accountable? Who holds, who holds unelected officials accountable? Who holds a who holds a cartel of private banks accountable that calls themselves the Federal Reserve, but has nothing to do with the U.S. government at all? Who right. holds them accountable? No one. Yeah. How? How do you hold them accountable? You can't. And so, and so in their uh, infinite wicked wisdom, they've recognized that in the inability to, for them to hold, for anyone to hold them truly accountable, they can just subtly shift the rules in their favor slowly over time in a way that everyone accepts as just normal for so long, just and boiling the frog. And we've become aware in recent years of just how powerful they are. Like, no, who, five years ago, nobody listened to, they had monthly meetings. Who cares, right? The, the Federal Reserve chair is going to speak on what he's going to do because they were lowering interest rates or interest rates were low and steady. Inflation wasn't a problem. Nobody cared. Now, everybody hangs on their every word. It's like tomorrow they're going to say something. There was an indication that they might be hawkish or dovish about interest rates. They speak. And if, you know, and if they see that the economy is bad, 
the stock market shoots up because they say, oh, if they, if they finally acknowledge that the economy is bad, they're going to stop putting their boots on our neck with higher interest rates. Mm-hmm. And, and that'll mean that there'll be lower interest rates and there'll be more money to flow around. So the, so the worse the economy is, the better the stock market is. And the better the economy is, the worse the stock market is because they're worried they're going to... So everything's inverted, right? The stock market should be positively correlated with the state of the economy, mm-hmm. not inversely. But this, the, it's become so bent out of shape and so perverted because of this phenomenon that now everything goes the other way around. And we saw it in highlighted in these headlines during the COVID crisis where the stock market had reached new heights while unemployment was at new heights as well. And, and everyone was like, oh, good, they'll have to keep this. So, so there's been this complete detachment of what the stock market actually reflects versus the economy and, and, and the whole monetary system versus the economy. I think these people have gotten themselves caught in a situation of spir- again, spiraling debt, spiraling money supply, spiraling money yeah. printing. There's not, it's at, the whole system is out of control now. It's not like at this point they can bring it under wraps and say, okay, we, we overextended ourselves. We just went a little too crazy. Like the system is spiraling out of control. And this sort of thing has happened repeatedly throughout history whenever money has been printed or debased. Right? It's, just, it's an inescapable problem that once you go a certain distance past the temptation to breach the trust of people, you end up with these massive debts, $32 trillion in debt the U.S. federal government alone is in forget all of the other things there's like 600 trillion dollars of unfunded liabilities across all these forms of american government and and the interest rates are higher now so the payments to whoever this money is owed to is unachievable except for through money printing which creates more inflation which debases the dollar ever more and so you end up in this yeah. horrible feedback loop where the dollar just starts to accelerate in its loss of purchasing power and that's and that's mm-hmm the fear that I think a lot of people are starting to awaken to that this is more than just 2% inflation. This is, this is a rapid erasing of all of my life savings and of my current mm-hmm. earnings. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You have, it's like you have this giant chain of people that are drunk on this fountain of money. Yeah. You know, out of, it's like, it's this money is just pouring out of some, some, some hole in the ground. Yeah. And probably literally, and, and I think, um, you know, as my, as my buddy laser talks about, you know, the Cantillon effect, yes. you know, where you have the people that are standing closest to this fountain of money, that's producing money out of nothing. Yeah. Right. And the people who are closest to it, get the most drunk on it. And then it propagates outwards to the everyday citizen yeah. and they're drunk on it as well. And everyone is drunk on free money. Yeah. And it's like, at what point is, you know, at what point is the revelry going to end and the sun's going to come up and we're all going to realize how hungover you know, we are, yeah. and is that it, it, maybe we should all stop drinking now and start, stop drinking alcohol now and start drinking water, let's say, right. and start preparing for, you know, for, yeah. for the, the inevitable, the, the potentially inevitable yeah. consequences of doing this. Well, this is it. We, we can't consume what is never produced. And if we each stop producing and continue to consume sooner or later, yeah. we're, the, you know, yeah. the stockpiles run out and the, and the perishables stop being created and we lose access to these things this is why things like the price of eggs are so telling right the price of eggs is way up mm-hmm. well we we shut down a lot of supply chains we made feed more expensive and now eggs are much more expensive like they you know they've worked the old eggs have worked their way through the supply chains 
And, and it's easy to solve this problem. Raise more chickens. But now we've got regulations in the way they say, well, it's not environmentally friendly to raise livestock. Oh. And, and again, we're not letting free people decide what they want to do for themselves. We, have, we once again have experts, whether they're financial experts or environmental experts or scientists and virologists, all these people who show up. In what we're not, I'm not sure why we should be trusting these people other than that they say trust we us. Right, we shouldn't. But they say trust right. us. Oh, but they have all the degrees. They have degrees. They have white lab coats. They're on TV. They're, they, have, yeah. they have all these. Uh, and again, we've gotten into this point where we lived for so long trusting these trusted institutions because for a period of time, they were not corrupt. They were, they were genuinely delivering truth right? during an era when we were discovering truth. Antibiotics did cure you from from bacterial infections so right on like that's good and mm. and you put people through the schooling system at the time and they did learn how to read and they did learn basic skills and we built factories and we built power plants and all these things that we we built the infrastructure of a civilization that made us more comfortable and we ended up developing a lot of trust but somewhere along the way it, the game became not about building things of value in exchange for money. It became about getting close to the money printer. And, and oftentimes, and I think this is what's particularly insidious, it was like destroying things of value or preventing things of value from being built. So like as one example, there's apparently not mm -hmm. been any new nuclear reactors built in North America in the mm -hmm. last 50 years. This is the most dense, clean, safe form of energy we've ever discovered and it could have brought abundance to the whole world and really cheap energy and now people appreciate how how valuable energy is and how important it is and yet the fear of the atom bomb which doesn't really have anything to do with nuclear reactors was used to prevent this technology from being widely adopted and it was incredibly safe and would have been even safer if we had another 50 years of experience building it and developing it and so this wow. All this, all this expert ease, expertise to tell us, don't do things, don't grow the economy, don't do this. And so it became this nihilistic philosophy that perpetrated, that, uh, not perpetrated, that uh, permeated uh, our expert culture. And so now we have these experts who tell us not to fart, not to breathe, not to grow cattle, not to farm, not to do these things. And so when you don't do these things, lo and behold, you don't have... You don't have energy. You don't have food. You don't have transportation, and and suddenly you're poor because being poor is the the absence of these things that we're no longer producing with glee. And and I agree. I think that there's this this other problem that we develop, which is let's make everything disposable, which is another consequence of having money that loses its purchasing power. It's okay. We'll just print more. We'll just buy more. We stop building things to last. It's a good thing we built those nuclear reactors to last and those hydroelectric dams to last. Many of them are over 100 years old, the hydroelectric dams that provide so much of our energy throughout uh, North America. If we hadn't built them to last and they'd be gone now, we'd be living like uh, mm -hmm. in, in tremendous property. We wouldn't have electricity. But we built these things to last. And I think that's another one of these things when we get back around to Bitcoin, which is maybe a good time to do it, is it's something that's built to last, right? It's something that's indestructible. We haven't really talked about that, but um, 
when you start to build things to last and you see the things that can be built to last. And Bitcoin is maybe one of the most interesting things that's ever been built to last. And one of the few things that in this generation has been built to last. Like everything else is like iPhone 14, 15, 16, 17, throw out your old one, right? Throw out your old Mac, throw out your old Windows PC. Those don't even last anywhere near as long as a Mac. Planned obsolescence. Yeah, engineered obsolescence. And Bitcoin is this thing. And again, it Mm. confuses people who come new to it. They're like, well, isn't something better going to come along? Something better comes along for everything else. And said, well, the life-changing technologies, humanity-changing technologies were built to last. Like nobody's come up with a better invention for the wheel. We even have, you know, someone long, long, long ago invented the wheel. We don't know their name either. And it's an open source piece of technology. And nobody's come up with anything better to move things on land than than over an inclined plane that circulates upon itself called the wheel. And so the wheel is a technology that hasn't really been improved improved upon. And technologies like hydroelectric dams or nuclear reactors, to mention a couple that we've already spoken about, we don't have better replacements for them. Like they're still pretty much as amazing as they were. Maybe we've got slight modifications, slight improvements on them, but what we developed in the early 1900s in the first case and in the mid-1900s in the second case is still the, the state of the art. And so not everything needs to be disposed of when you figure out how something works and you build it to last. It lasts for a long time. And I think this is part of the magic of Bitcoin. People look at it and they say, wow, this thing called its blockchain is a record that goes back to its genesis and just keeps growing and growing and growing, immalleable and can be added to forever as soon as you start to understand a little bit of the mathematics of it and can house all the money for all the people in the world forever, privately, unstealably, securely. And you start to say, wow, this is, I don't need to reinvent the wheel on this thing. Someone's invented a great mechanism here. And I can now see an ability for generations to be built on this. This is a base layer for building a civilization on, on a money that's sound, on a money that's scarce, but a money that's not, that nobody can stop you from using. And no, no corrupt government official can ever inflate it or prevent you from using it. And so this is what kind of blows people away and changes their perspective to being, you know, what? I'm not here to play a game of trying to get close to the money printer of being one of these cantillionaires. I can actually work for a living and trade my good, honest work for the good, honest work of other people and save my money until I need to spend it on the good, honest work of people who come later. And I can even leave it for posterity to my children or to the future generations who might be working on multi-generational projects, uh, which are things that used to exist all the time. You think of great cathedrals and people would start working on them knowing that they weren't going to live to see the end of these projects, but they were still moved by the hope and vision of what these things were building. This is possible again. It just, it doesn't seem possible in the Silicon Valley world where no company lives for more than five or six years, except for the really exceptional ones that live for 10 or 20. But that's so short compared to a human life. Again, it used to be the case that you, yeah. even, even in early corporate America, you expected the Ford Motor Company would outlive Henry Ford and would outlive his children and grandchildren. And the same was true of Walmart. And the same was maybe true of IBM. You just don't see it now. Like, I, you know, I don't think Twitter... It's going to outlive Elon Musk. Probably not. Right. Well, he, by his own design. You <laughs> might, might screw it up too. But, but we don't expect yeah. it to, right? Like we just, we, do, we don't expect 
we expect everything that's coming out of technology to to die. Maybe a brand will live because it's reinvented its technology over and over again, but not because its basic premise, its basic promise was one that people valued and it delivered throughout history consistently. I, I, I just have to take a minute to acknowledge how much I'm enjoying all the big ideas that you're, that you're putting out oh, there, because you. like, this is, this is fantastic for me to listen to because um, a, because I agree and B, because you express these things, these, these civil civilization shifting ideas in such a concise mm -hmm. way. And, and as part of that, I'm also, I'm also aware that there's a real like zero to one thing that kind of happens with Bitcoin where it's like, people look at it it's like, isn't that just a cryptocurrency? And then you explain to somebody, it's like, well, isn't, isn't it, isn't it just like an investment property? Like I'm just going to put my money in Bitcoin, just like a stock. Yeah. And then, and then there's a step past that, which is the real zero to one step where you recognize the civilization transforming, civilization building, life transforming, legacy transforming potential of this technology. Yeah. And it's like, you just have to get someone off of that zero point just a little bit to recognize that like, just don't, don't pay attention to the ups and downs yeah. of the value like you would a stock. Ignore that totally. And when you start considering the implications of some of the things you're talking about, it's like an introduction to a whole new world. I think that's it. It's a right? one-way one door. So like the, the cryptographic yes. functions that are used behind Bitcoin are actually called one-way functions because you can put data in, you always get the same answer out, but there's no way to reverse them. There's no way to take what you got out and figure out what it was that you put in. And, and I think... <laughs> hashing. Yeah, hashing, exactly. And, and I think that this is one of the things that Bitcoin's critics never really understand. They're like, well, what are you, when are you going to sell it and what are you going to sell it for? And when they hear from Bitcoin, it's like, what? I'm never selling it. I'm going to spend it at some point in time because it's going to become the money because it's reliable yes. and durable. So, so you have a big critic like P Peter Schiff who hates Bitcoin. And he says, well, you know, he, he's always comparing at the price and he always tweets anytime the price goes down rather than up versus, um, versus the US dollar. So saying like, when it, what, it, what are you going to sell it for? And Bitcoiners are overwhelmingly saying, we're done. We're done with that broken, corrupt system. We're holding on to this and, and we're starting to build a circular economy and, and people are trading it. And the beauty of Bitcoin is because it's private, because it's because it doesn't care. There are little communities of people all over the world exchanging Bitcoin and they're not reporting it to the government. Like, like you don't see it on charts. There are just people trading eggs for Bitcoin and then trading that Bitcoin for milk or beef or then trading that for farm equipment or renting farm equipment so that they can grow their hay to give to the cows to make the milk. And that's how money's supposed to work, right? It doesn't need the government to surveil everything to make sure that it's not terrorist activity or money laundering. Well, what is money laundering? It's like, you're spending money without telling me. I'm the authority. Right? It's mm -hmm. like, I don't need earning you, yeah, money without yeah, telling me you don't, you don't add any value, Mr. Government, right? Like you're, I'm growing cattle and trading it for someone else who's raising wheat. Why? Do, what value do you provide in here other than taking a cut along the way for having done nothing, but tell me that I'm a criminal if I don't pay you a cut along the way. Yeah. And this is where we've really lost sight of things because so many of us have become unproductive which is maybe yet another thing to talk about as well, but you're enjoying it. Let's talk about it. Oh. No, let, let's talk about that because I think it's really important. You know, the, the podcast is the Renaissance of men, mm -hmm. which is the rebirth of masculinity yeah. and men are beginning to rediscover what it means to be a husband and a father. Yeah. And, and what's behind that is the notion of being a provider. Yeah. And if you're working to provide for a family, 
and then you're then you're earning money to provide you know for that for that family and we're used to living in this corporate and one of the, the shifts that i'm seeing is we're used to living in this corporate world which thrives off of inflation right where where you're in a sense separated from the value of what it is that you produce every day like most men are for example are information knowledge workers right yeah. they 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 move information around add value to it and then through the giant process the corporate stock price goes up and you know your 401k does well and that's how prosperity is generated but a lot of men are opting out of that system because they're recognizing that you know their 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 pronouns are starting to show up in their email signatures and their mandates passing through the company and things are going woke it's like Maybe this isn't the place for me. So they're discovering entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And when you move into entrepreneurship, you actually have to produce something of unique and original value, whatever that is independent. It's only based on you. And if you're doing that and you're pouring your time and your life force energy into creating value and you're, you earn this, this store of value of fiat currency, and then you watch the value of that slowly ebb away. Yeah. It's like, I just gave my life to produce that. And now it's worth half of what it was a month ago. So this question is beginning to dawn for men. Well, how can I, where can I store the value that I've produced in a way that can't be inflated away? Bitcoin is the answer. And so this is very relevant to everything I do. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that this whole sense of purpose, what I'm about to say is something that a friend of mine told me, yeah, that a friend of mine was ta- telling me about, so I won't do it as much justice as he did, but he said, the state has really come in and pushed men out of the way in many ways. Like we yes. used to protect our family and now it's like, well, don't worry about that. The government's got your back. We've got the police and we've got the army to, to protect you. So the strength of the man is not needed. And the, you know, the, the, the man used to go and do, yeah, but the man used to go and do the dangerous work, the, the work that required strength. And now we've got machines to do most of that work and, and machines are things that anybody can sit in front of, including, including women and they're automated and, Many times nobody sits in front of them, so we're we're pushed away from that. And uh, AI. yeah, and so I think more and more and more, the notion of what a man is supposed to do and supposed to have as his purpose is is getting diluted and corroded away. And we need to find a way to feel that sense of purpose because absent purpose, you're absent hope. It's it's the challenge that. The challenge of doing something hard is is really what appeals to the man inside of you. And I'm not trying to say anything about women. They may want to have other things or, or things that they find hard too. But I'm just saying as a man, you know, I wanted I want to demonstrate that I can do something that isn't easy to do. I want to apply myself. I want to do work. I don't want to sit on a couch and be provided for. That's that I don't even think a baby wants to do for very long, right? Like you just, you grow out of it. You're, you're seeking some kind of purpose. And, and so much about the life around us now, given the automation, given the government intervention and everything that we do and the regulation that says, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. And you're only allowed to do this in this way and that way, according to the rules. It's like, we're not really terribly free. Right? And it, and, you know, and it sounds silly to say like, well, you're only allowed to drive 55 miles per hour. That's a limitation on your freedom. But that, that's part of the death of a thousand cuts, right? It's like everywhere I go, everything I do must be done at exactly this, a way that's prescribed to me by somebody else. There's no way for me to do it my way. And so there's no personal expression. There's no personal identity. And so when we all lose our personal identity, darn, 
right? We're, we're robots, we're clones, we're automatons, not we're crazy individual men and, and women. And I think that that's part of, well, I used to go to these Bitcoin meetups just as COVID was coming around. And I noticed Bitcoiners were just such crazy characters. Like they were all so unique. We, were, we weren't all watching the same TV. We weren't all dressed the same. We weren't we were all reading all these different interesting things and bringing ideas to the table. And I felt like, oh, this is what it must have been like in the old days around King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table. Right? You've got all these legendary characters, but they're not, each one is unique, not a cardboard cutout of something that's, that's in the streets. And I, I do think that this is another one of these things that comes forward when you claim your own sovereignty, when you claim your own identity and your own responsibility for taking care of your own money and your own worth. And then suddenly, suddenly something starts to emerge, which is you, right? It's not, it's not, well, all Bitcoiners are the same, although many of us will talk about these problems that we just discussed. But what's, what you start to discover is, well, what really moves me? Not, and it's not that I want to buy the same car that the neighbor had in the same color or a slightly fancier color. I want to get a slightly bigger house. And you don't judge yourself on the basis of, what the Joneses have, you know, keeping up with the next door neighbor, you start to judge yourself based off of something that's internal. And you say, well, what do I really want? What matters to me? And the answer is going to be different to you than somebody else. It's going to be love in some cases, it's going to be friendship in others. It's going to be the purpose of achieving, a, writing a great novel or a great poem or making a great movie or whatever it is, you start to discover what's really inside yourself. And you realize that wealth as measured by your neighbor's view compared to themselves is not, is not particularly real. It's not what's really valuable to you. And so this, mm-hmm. this I think, is perhaps one of the most important spiritual things that we've really lost in our modern society. It's like, who are you? You, like that. Uh, not how are you slightly different than the person beside you. Forget judging yourself by the standard of the next-door next neighbor or the average Judge yourself by your own standard of who you are and discover yourself uh, for yourself. And that takes work and that takes time and it takes exploration. And that's an that's a amazing life's purpose, right? to find out who you really are and to actualize as that person to achieve the best thing that you can in what you are rather than to be a barista at, and, make the, and make the exact same coffee that every single other barista who works at the coffee shop knows how to make, making it well. I'm not saying that there's no pride in that, but I am, I am saying there's something more in you, whoever you are, right? Than, than just following somebody else's instructions to cook something or to reproduce a widget exactly the way that it's produced in 5,000 other locations of the same franchise all over the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think the thing that's really important about that is there's this notion of self-fulfillment that's been floating around, you know, in Western culture for the past, I'll say 40 or 50 or 60 years, something like that. Right. And I think it's a, I think it is absolutely a great idea. Like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, self-actualization. And I think all those things are fine, but what gets left left out of it is this, is the language. The language is who you are as a human and that's fine. Okay. But the really important language that gets cut out of this is who you are as a man and who you are as a man as distinct from a woman meaning that men are unique creatures from women. And there's this homogenizing way that self-fulfillment gets, gets kind of, it, it, it's like hu- human potential, human fulfillment. And this idea that men's fulfillment and women's fulfillment can, does, and, 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 should, and should look the same. 
right? And I don't believe that that's the case. And that that yeah. that thought alone is very controversial. That a man's fulfillment can, should, and does look very different from a woman's fulfillment. And it, it's that notion, that very subtle shift in language, the elimination of distinction between men and women and what their fulfillment looks mm-hmm. like, that, that I think slides the discussion, that one degree of difference that produces a 100% degree of difference further down the right. track. Because a, a man's fulfillment as, as, a, as a protector, as a provider, you know, as, as, uh, or a priest, like the spiritual head of his family, is, is very different, I think. And, and you can't have two protectors, two providers, and two priests of a family, for example. That's, there's going to be a lot of conflict. And voila, welcome to 2023. So this is how it may seem, there may be several steps between how that idea of individual fulfillment as a man ties to Bitcoin itself. But, they're, but as you just outlined, they're deeply connected. They're deeply, deeply connected because Bitcoin is, is where you can store the value that you've created, discovering and creating your own identity as a product, as a productive human being, as a productive, creative human being. Like these things are very connected. And, and once that light, once that light goes on for people, the light continually comes on for me. Every time I see it anew, it's like, ah, oh, how incredible. Yeah. I think, I, I think a lot of this stuff that I'm talking about today, I, I've been in Bitcoin for 10 years now. I'm better able to articulate it. Oh, and it was so hard. I yeah. like I knew that there was something there when I first stumbled upon this thing, when I first tripped upon it. But it was very hard to put into words. One, one there was just a lot of learning of what it is um, and understanding its yeah. nature. And is this true about it? Is this false about it? Like what's actually going on there? But as one spends more time, one realizes, well, if I can actually store my energy and prevent it from being taken away and through my knowledge be able to protect and preserve the efforts of my work to be exchanged for the work of others and then meet with others this is another thing that's really important i think meet with others who share that view now i'm dealing with men of honor people of honor right uh who and not people who are trying to cheat me or take something away from me or who who secretly know a way to steal money you know who are who are laughing behind closed doors mm-hmm. while they pretend to be experts. Suddenly, I'm dealing with men of honor, and and this is a phenomenon that definitely happens in the Bitcoin community. As you you actually have people you can trust because they're people who bought into a philosophy where cheating is impossible. Right? They're not interested in gain in gains through cheating. They're not interested in gains through lying. They're interested in trading value for value. Another very common expression. It's amazing to think this is a common expression in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Well, shouldn't value for value be be an expression that we all use? It's what you know. We should all shake hands and say value for value for equal trade, fair trade between two people. But but it's this new discovery that you can actually trade value for value. Um, and we're so it's not a new discovery; it's a rediscovery. That's like in the same way that it's a renaissance. It's not. It's not the first birth of mankind it's it's not even the first renaissance it's the second renaissance that we're right. uh that, that we're having because we've messed everything up in in taking away people's honor and integrity and and now there's something and it's not that the idea of honor and integrity are invalid ideas they're ideas so many of us long for i i i've said at one point i've looked for integrity my whole life and then i finally found it in bitcoin and bitcoiners because I was so frustrated spending decades in the business world trying to create things of value and then seeing office politics or the stroke of a pen, of a politician's pen, wipe out 
all this work that had been done very unjustly um, and lacking integrity and lacking honor. And it's like, well, now I've got something that I can protect and preserve the integrity of and meet with other men in honor on it. And honor, honor stands for a lot of things, but one of them is honesty. Right? They share the same root, I think, for, mm-hmm. for good reason. And honesty mm-hmm. is about this desire to know the truth in the first place. Right? You can't speak the truth unless you spend time learning the truth. And that's another big thing that, you know, that the, our po- political system is one liar versus another, telling bigger lies and making mm-hmm. bigger promises. And, and Bitcoin is a set of promises that you can verify for yourself. And they continue to hold always because nobody can change the system. Hi, everyone. I just want to take a minute to tell you a little bit about the new digital conference series. Virtue is a lost word in our language, but it's so fundamental to who we are as both men and women. For many years, the Manosphere and other parts of the men's movement postured vice as virtue, arrogance, boastfulness, materialism, superficiality, promiscuity, and more. But as I think we've all discovered, those are not values to build a civilization on. So wise men and women are looking for more. And really, I think they have been for a long time. But they couldn't articulate what it was that they were looking for. They didn't understand the eternal qualities of masculinity that previous generations took for granted. And that's why it's our privilege and responsibility to bring it back. This conference is intended to surface six essential masculine virtues that I think the speakers I've chosen exemplify. Because if you're going to learn how to do a thing, it's best to learn from an expert. I'm thrilled with the lineup. It features some of my most popular and downloaded guests of this podcast. It'll be an all-day event on Zoom from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific or noon to 8 p.m. Eastern. Drop in for whatever talks sound most compelling for you or spend the entire day with us. And the morning and evening will be bracketed by discussion panels from the speakers. In the morning, you'll get a preview of their talks, and then in the evening, you'll get an opportunity to ask questions of some of the wisest men I know. Men like Will Noland from Nolan Knows, who'll be speaking about resilience. Ryan King from The Wisdom of Kings, who'll be speaking about heroism. Nate Spearing from the Life on Target podcast, speaking about courage. King David, now John David Haskins, speaking about self-mastery. Lawson Speaks Truth, going hard on determination. And finally, Mike Pantile, speaking about something we'd all agree he embodies, boldness. I'm so thrilled to hear what these men have to say. They've approached this event with enthusiasm, and I'm incredibly thankful. Because it's time that we move beyond the posture that vice is virtue, and begin speaking about virtue directly. Resilience, heroism, Courage, self-mastery, determination, and boldness are six essential virtues that every man can learn, which is why the theme of the conference is what men need to know. So I hope you'll join us all for this exciting moment. The second event is already coming together for May, and I can't wait to tell you more about it. But first things first. Once again, join us on Saturday, March 25th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific or noon to 8 p.m. Eastern for the first edition of the Renaissance of Men digital conference series. Go to renofmen.com slash conference to learn more and buy tickets today. Use the code podcast for $5 off. Once again, go to renofmen.com slash conference to learn more and buy tickets and use the code podcast for $5 off. You'll be hearing a lot more about this event in the weeks to come, and I look forward to seeing you for the kickoff in March.
okay. So I want to, I want to take a quick step back for the, uh, in the, um, in, in, uh, to play devil's advocate to the listener who's hearing this, who's like, these guys, they've just got stars in their eyes. They're, they're snowed, you know, they're, they're true, true believers and, and they don't actually see clearly what's going on. They're, they're intoxicated mm-hmm. in some way. So for that, for that man or woman who's yeah. listening, who hears us talking about things like honor and sovereignty and yeah. truth and, you know, uh, and, 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 and government and lies and all this, they, they hear the, the big picture philosophy and like, ah, I don't know that I believe that. It's just some, it's just some digital funny yeah. money, you know, that, that, that like, how, let, let's, let's speak to that person sure. for a second who's listening. Well, the first thing way. I would say to somebody like that is I can't make you believe you have to put in the work. And people say this about Bitcoin, like you, you have to put in at least 10 hours to get started. And then you, and then if you're interested, you'll put in a hundred and then a thousand, and then maybe even as much as 10,000 hours <laughs> because you're, because then you'll be crazy like Will and I, and, and, and you won't be able to stop, like, can, can confirm. <laughs> you won't be able to stop studying it, but you've got to put in some work. This is, this is, just like the good, honest work that we've been talking about, you can't get it for free. You can't, you can't have somebody, if, if you were a skeptic about the necessity of eating food and you didn't want to eat food and you were getting all weak and I'm standing here saying, no, eat food, trust me, it'll give you energy. You say, well, it just sounds hokey to me. I don't, I don't see the idea of putting something in your mouth and chewing it and swallowing it. It only comes out the back end anyways. Like, so if you've got someone who's a real skeptic about it, they have to put in some amount of work. They have to invest something. It doesn't have to be your money, although I definitely recommend as part of the learning journey, getting yourself some Bitcoin, whether you earn it or buy it, yeah. so that you can see how it how it works. But the very first part is you've got to be prepared to study it. And you've got to be and and everyone learns in different ways. So whether you're asking questions of people, there's lots of people who are prepared to answer questions for free in live forums, or whether you're reading articles or books or listening to podcasts, you do have to engage in this question of what is money? What is real money? What is pure money? Um, Where does money come from? What purpose does it serve? How does Bitcoin work? Is it money? Does it meet these definitions of money? And if you're not prepared to really ask those questions, if you just say, I'm going to take it on faith that what the US government says or what my government says in my geography is money is money. Pieces of paper with numbers written on them, that the one that's worth 100 is the same size piece of paper is the one that's worth one, but one's worth a hundred times as much as the other. And the, like, why? Because you say so, because you've cast a magic spell to say, to say it is, and you'll beat people up if they don't mm. obey your magic spell. Well, that's, that's not the argument from reason. That's the argument, argument from ad baculum, right? The argument from force, from the threat of hitting you with a stick. Authority. Yep. It, right. And so once you start asking these questions, it is a rabbit hole, right? It is, you're starting down this one way function. And you may get scared along the way, but you will find that as you ask more questions, you get very good answers to your questions from the Bitcoin community. Not, mm-hmm. not necessarily every single Bitcoiner is going to have the best answer for you every time. Not necessarily everyone's going to tell you the truth. Not everyone's going to know the truth. There will be lots of people from the cryptocurrency and communities, I can assure you, who will be trying to tell you Bitcoin's not good. I've got something better. Trust me. Give me your money. If you already have Bitcoin, mm-hmm. they'll be saying, give me your Bitcoin. I'll give you this thing that's better. Trust me. But if it really was better, why would they be giving you this thing that was better for something worse? Um, that's You might want to ask yourself that question. 
but there's a learning curve and, and that learning curve, just like learning to walk, you fall down, you scrape your knee before you can run. There's a learning curve in which you'll probably make some mistakes along the way. And so you might want to be a little bit cautious and you might want to learn from other people's mistakes. Lots of people in the Bitcoin community will have said, oh, here's the mistake I made of buying other cryptos or of not holding the money securely and trusting somebody else to hold it. There's a whole responsibility regimen that comes around Bitcoin. I mean, there's a saying in the community called not your keys, not your coins, right? If you don't if you don't take custody mm-hmm. of your Bitcoin yourself by putting it in an address that is that only you can access because only you have this private key to it, then someone else has access to it and someone else might steal it from you. So this is an unstealable form of property, but only if you use it in the proper way, not if you leave it in somebody else's hands to say, please don't steal it. So there's all these responsibilities that come with it. There's a lot to learn. It's different than anything else you've ever seen before. And so it's going to require that you bend your thinking. And, and, I, and for me, I think a lot of the disappointments that I've had in people who were curious, but then backed off was they just weren't really prepared to want to understand how things are different. They're kind of comfortable in this world where somebody, the government says, don't worry, we're going to take care of you. Trust us. And they trust them. And whether or not the government does take good care of them or not, they take care of them in some ways, they abuse them in other ways. I think, you know, that's just enough for me. I, like, I'm actually on the receiving end of the, of the Cantillon effect, you know, like financial advisors or th- things like that, where it benefits them that people can't save their money soundly. And it benefits them that people have to come to them and mm-hmm. gamble it on stocks and bonds and preferred stocks and options and all these other kinds of derivative instruments. That's how they make their money. With Bitcoin, you don't need to gamble your money. You just hold on to it and save it. You don't need to give it over to an advisor who, may, who is going to charge you for, mm-hmm. for it, whether you, they make or lose money for you, whether they even keep up with inflation. I mean, like my, my guy gets paid even if he underperforms inflation. So I actually lost money, right? Yeah. But, but I would have lost even more if I didn't invest it for you. So the whole that whole, uh, if I get back to your question, it's like, if you want to learn about Bitcoin, you have to put in work. Just like if you want to learn how to do anything in this world well, you're going to have to put in work. It's not somebody else tells you, trust me, it's good. Um, and and if, you're not, if you're untrusting, all the more reason. Like The, the beauty of, about Bitcoin is it is completely transparent. It's a completely naked system. It's free open source software based off of proven mathematical formula, which you can test for yourself and you can push yourself right to the very limits of human knowledge on it for free, like not free of work, but Mm -hmm. nobody's going to charge you anything to read the source code. Nobody's going to charge you anything for all of these incredible resources about learning about cryptography and peer to peer networking and how all these things work. So you can learn it for yourself if you put in the work and some people can help you Mm -hmm. get through it faster if you pay them presumably, but this is this is something that you've got to do the work yourself on, and and you realize that's true about everything, right? That's that's a, a silly example that I gave at the beginning about food. You know it because you've been eating food all your life, but if you suddenly came to it new, it might seem silly to spend money on food. But of course, mm-hmm. you'd be coming at it from some alternate world where you maybe didn't need it before and just didn't realize how badly you needed it. I mean, I think the better example is some kind of highly nutritious food because we do today see a lot of people suffering from malnutrition, even in the West. They're obese, right? And and they're eating things that are not good for them. 
and they might ask, and they, they might not even be aware of what's good for them. There's all these crazy diets going around because it's clear that them eating what they think they should be eating is not working for them. So people are aware that something's not working out right for them, but they don't have all the answers. Bitcoin's easier to verify than some diet because there's many diets that'll work for you for a little while, but you don't know what their long-term health consequences are. And, and they don't seem to work for a very long period of time for people. Like, well, they don't yeah, work for everybody. They don't work for you. Bitcoin works the same way for everybody else. It doesn't, it doesn't even know that people exist, right? It just, it just exists and that's, and that's good enough for it. I, I appreciate that really valuable bit of insight, which is like you have to put in the work to understand it. Like, yes, there are moments where, where when learning anything, where the light will just go on and people will just like get it if they don't put in a lot of work or, or something about it will intrigue them. But in general, to encounter men who experience skepticism, particularly about, I mean, I, I could list a dozen different topics in the masculinity space, whether it be diet, exercise, you know, faith, you know, purpose, whatever. It's like, why do I? Why do I, why do I need that? Like convince me. It's like, if you put in like, and 10 hours of work is not a lot. Like, you know, if you, if you, if you figure how many, you can look at your phone, it'll tell you how much screen time you're spending during the day, swiping through TikTok or Instagram reels or, or whatever. And it's like, if you spend that, you spend exactly. And it's like, so if you were to put in just 10 hours of work to try and understand it, what if you could get your entire worldview transformed? And, and I got very lucky because I, I think, because um, I met Carlos, the Bitcoin coach. He's a friend of mine. And he was like, hey, I'm, I'm starting to do this Bitcoin coaching thing. Does anybody want to sign up to be my first client? I was like, me, I would like to understand Bitcoin. And so I signed up and I was his first client. And and I think it was, I think it was 10, six conversations. So six hour. I mean, there was some, there was some guided study at home as well. And like by the third hour, by the, by week between somewhere between work week two and three, yeah. I got it. And I was like, I'm in, right. I, Cause I put in the work. I was like, okay. Like he'd obviously put the time and thought and care and energy into putting things together in such a way that to lead me down the path. But it's like anything else, you know, like I, I, I use DaVinci Resolve video editing software and I could go, I could have gone to YouTube to learn DaVinci Resolve, right? There's plenty of free tutorials, but instead I paid a little bit of money so I could get a guided tutorial and you could do it both ways. And there's no, there's no right or wrong about that. You can obviously for, for Bitcoin, you can go to YouTube, you can read books, you can do a self-directed style of learning if that appeals to you. I'm very much a show me style of learner. So I went to someone who could show me and he showed me and I got it. And so whatever style of learning, you know, let me figure it out on my own, show me, read books. You know, I think those are the three main learning styles. There might be one more like find, find your particular learning style. And for Bitcoin, particularly as a man, engage with that style of learning and learning yeah. about Bitcoin. And you'll see everything, man or woman, and you'll see what we're talking about. You'll see it for yourself. If you put in three, five, 10 hours of work at the most, you'll get the glimmer of light. And then it'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. And I like for me, we'll take this right back to the beginning. You talked about how my style of writing about Bitcoin is different. That's what I'm trying to either amplify for people who are already mm -hmm. in it so that they realize that they're not crazy or provide the easier entry door for people who are coming in at first without saying look this is this is crypto cryptography and here's what cryptography does or this is um austrian economics and here's what's everything that's wrong about economics that you probably didn't even bother to study in the first place like that it's just mm -hmm. here's something very here's a very plain and simple way to understand some of these things um, and 
and then you can go into the real world and verify if what I said was true. Right. Uh, but at the very least, just get started. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I've been trying to do for a couple of years. Well, let's let's dig into some of your um, sure. some of your posts then. Some of the some of the interesting perspectives you've had. I've got you know some of them pulled up here. You've got you know Satoshi. Let's let's do. Let's start with the one about Satoshi okay. Nakamoto. Like I, I I love that about about the about the stash that's just, he's just kind of got right there. So just, just walk us, okay, walk so us through that this one. This piece is called the legendary treasure of Satoshi Nakamoto. And I've, I've kind of yes, hinted it. about it throughout it. It's a, it's the most popular piece I've written is read mostly by people who have been in Bitcoin for a while. Piece. And it came to me after, um, after a discussion about spirituality and Bitcoin with somebody the, the night before. And then I went downstairs the next morning and kind of, wrote this whole thing which is which is first of all about why bitcoin causes a spiritual awakening in people and and it really is you know mm-hmm. you it, it is this beginning with this crazy story that happened right before our eyes that isn't this fictional tale but is this verifiably true tale of someone who invented something that experts said was impossible to invent who did it while preserving their privacy and anonymity whose invention of this problem was demonstrated to be unstoppable by governments even what you know these with all these militaries and everything that they couldn't stop it was inimitable and un, un uh unseizable right uncontrolled by corporations and and that this thing flourished on its own and got embraced by people voluntarily out of out of nothing and pointing you know and that he didn't do it for money power and fame so this incredible story of the appearance and disappearance of Satoshi Nakamoto and his invention called Bitcoin is a story that when you hear it and when you verify its truth, will shatter many of your old beliefs. All those beliefs that the experts say it can't be done, then it, I guess it can't be done. Well, that, that belief goes away. The governments say they can stop anything. Well, they can't stop this. The corporations say they can take over everything. Well, they couldn't take over, over this. The motivation behind it, we don't know exactly what it was, but we know it wasn't money, power, and fame. So all of these beliefs that you're ra- that you're raised, being told are true, suddenly don't aren't true anymore. And these are big beliefs, right? Like this is who runs the world around you, what control there is, who you are. I already know. You know, you, I don't need you to tell me who you are. I can tell you because you're a human being that you're greedy for money, power, and fame. And then suddenly you discover, well, that doesn't have to be true about me. And so this shatters old beliefs. And I point out in that article, once your old beliefs are shattered, that leaves a void and nature hates a void. Um, and so you start to fill it in with something. And that is the spiritual awakening. It's like, well, I live in this world where maybe I can do anything. And maybe my motivations aren't money, power, and fame. And maybe nobody can stop me, especially if I work with other people, other people of honor and truth and science and math and physics this is a different world than the world I lived in. And so suddenly you've, you've gone through the looking glass, right? You're falling down the rabbit hole and, and the world is different. And you can start to ask questions that you weren't asking before. One of the things I talk about in this article is you, it begins with this test of purity and you start to ask yourself the first question, what is, what is money? What is pure money? Detached from the tentacles of all these institutions that wrap themselves around it and say, and you, you, you're, again, you grow up thinking, well, money is wicked, it's evil, it's selfish. And you realize, well, money is actually, pure money is actually just the way that men deal with each other in peace. 
in peaceful trade. There's nothing evil and wicked about it. Um, it's these institutions that entangle themselves and say money is wicked, but are really taking it for themselves and restricting your ability to trade peacefully with other people through regulations and taxation and inflation that are the evil. And you realize that there's something special about purity, right? That the, the pure, uncontaminated thing may be really good. And, and then you can ask yourself questions about what is actually pure education when it's removed from all the contamination of the education system and government mandated, uh, what do we call them? Curriculums and all, you know, all these sorts of things. Maybe, maybe education is just me learning, right? Maybe it's me finding a way to learn. And, and what is, what is religion separated from the tentacles of all the people who claim to speak on behalf of it? And what is, and what is anything really? Right. And so you start to ask yourself, how can I, assess these things what is healthcare? what is food what is nutrition with purity and so that becomes part of your spiritual awakening as well and anyhow this piece goes on to tackle a few other things about values and morals but it really wraps up with saying you know this once you've once i've made all those points you say the story of satoshi nakamoto is he created this thing and in its early days when nobody else was interested in it he earned a million bitcoin Roughly, that's what people estimate. Nobody knows exactly for sure because his na- you don't put your name on what you own. You own it pseudonymously, but people have run analyses right. on the early days of Bitcoin and they can see that roughly a million Bitcoin, have, which have never moved, never been spent, were likely mined by Satoshi Nakamoto. And he left it behind. He, one day he disappeared because the thing could go on its own. And I, and I say, well, what, what does it actually mean that someone created this indestructible money, left it out in pure... It, left it out in the open and where everyone can see it, but nobody can touch it. Nobody can take it because pure money, as I point out in the article, is money that's, that its owner gets to choose to do with it what he wants. And, and he didn't use it for power and he didn't use it to, for fame and he didn't use it uh, to buy fancy yachts and things like that. He left it there as a monument that will stand forever because Bitcoin's indestructible and unseizable so that this pile of a million bitcoin stands there that anyone can see anyone who runs a note anywhere in the world gets a perfect copy of it that anybody can see um that stands for exactly what i just said in this story it stands for the fact that you can stand in the face of government authority you can stand in the face of corporate power you can invent things that experts tell you you can't invent you can do all these things and you can do it for a benefit greater than power, money, and fame. And I point out, you know, through as Bitcoin grows, if Bitcoin someday becomes all the money in the world, then this will be the largest, this is the largest pile of Bitcoins in the world. And so this will be the largest pile of money in the world. And anyone can see it, but nobody can take any of it. But people will be intrigued by it. And they will be curious to learn about Bitcoin to see if they can figure out a way to steal some portion of it. And so they come, they might come to it with greed and with a sense of dishonor to try to steal something that somebody else is. And they will learn that they can't, and they will learn honor from it. And this will help them see what the real treasure of Satoshi Nakamoto is, which isn't the million coins, but it's the discovery that you can find your true self. And that's not something that costs you anything in terms of money. That's the process of studying anything, including your own self and going through that process. And so that's a very brief snapshot of this piece that says there's a treasure lying in Bitcoin that if you study it at the end of the, at the end of the rainbow, it isn't a pot of gold. It's you. It's like, and that's a treasure more valuable than any amount of money in the world, finding your true self.
Mm. And I, I really hope, I really hope men are listening to that because, because I know that you're telling the truth and I know that you mean it. And, and I know that this isn't some pie in the sky, you know, wispy fantasy. Like this is, this is real. And, and I, and when you painted the picture in that article, this giant pot of untouched money that's just sitting there as a testament to what humanity can be. Like here's as a, as a million Bitcoin, you said, you know, what's Bitcoin at? I don't, didn't, haven't checked today. Last I looked, yeah. it was like 22, 24, right? So, so it's $23 billion sitting there that he doesn't, that he never touched. <laughs> yeah. And he, and, and not any of it doesn't touch. It's just sitting, it's just, a, imagine a giant stash of $23 billion in whatever form that mean, means something, whether it be giant right. gold coins or, you know, a Scrooge right. McDuck giant-esque yeah. vault, you know, and it's like, and the second he touches even one little penny, you know, people are watching, they'll know. He just, he, here he is, this thing that's worth essentially $23 billion. And, it, and whoever this anonymous individual is just mm-hmm. left it there. Right. And, is, and just, right. and, and just that's why I say, I, and that's right. why I and say, you have like, no idea. He you, didn't you just sit next leave to it there. He, he made, he chose what to do with it. He chose to leave it there. Right. He made a monument yeah, yeah, yeah. out of it. And this will, in a thousand years, if Bitcoin's still running, which it can be because it's built to last for forever. In 10,000 years, in a million years, it might still be there and people will still be saying there lies the legendary treasure of Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of the money that we all use, who left it there for us to see that we are better than greedy, selfish coin. We are not Scrooge McDuck. We are Satoshi Nakamoto. We're cut, we're made from the same substance mm-hmm. as he. Yeah. And then... I really appreciate that you keep coming back. I wanted to touch on this earlier. I really appreciate that you keep coming back to this notion of built to last because I do think it's something that we've lost lost sight of in you know short attention span theater modern era where a piece of content is meant to be consumed for thirty seconds or sixty seconds and disposed of or you know everything that we have around us is generally disposable. It's like going back to the building of these dams, these nuclear reactors, and you know a good a good hardy set of tools like no, this is built to last for a lifetime that we're conceptualizing something that seems ephemeral that's distributed over across the whole, literally across the whole world, including, like I said, you know, in my apartment, like as a small little piece of it in yeah. terms of my node, but like, yeah. this is built to last. And, 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 and there's something about that phrase yeah. built to last that I think has a unique and specific resonance for men. Like I want to yeah. build something to last yes. that'll outlast me. Yes. And that Satoshi right. did that, whoever Absolutely. he is. Yeah, I, I think that it's such a big pivot. And in the Bitcoin community, we call this low time preference, right? Not not being concerned with high time, with, with <laughs> yeah. you know the next minute, but being able to wait for the for the long term to do something that takes ten thousand hours, that takes a lifetime, that that grows in strength over time rather than gets weaker over time. We talk about and the concept of anti fragility, something that not only doesn't break when you put it under stress but get stronger from being put under stress these are manly concepts right like these are that's what you want to be you want to be someone who gets stronger from this lessons and the hardships of of life and and bitcoin exhibits this right bitcoin survives i have one article in my book called why bitcoin is the world's greatest gladiator i think is the title of it and it just points out that you know, uh, the, you know, every one of bitcoin's attacks takes place in public in front of the whole world as its theater and every time bitcoin survives it mm-hmm. people realize there's another thing that i thought could kill bitcoin that didn't and bitcoin doesn't attack and slash it just defends itself mm-hmm. it survives 
And that's the most incredible thing about it. And it's taken on the Chinese government, right? It's defended itself against the Chinese government, against American regulators, against the corporations who were big and powerful within it, trying to seize control of it and change its nature. It's taken on all of these battles and it survived them all. And I think that's kind of one of these things that, that really blows people away. It's like it, this thing was built with, like it can withstand a nuclear attack. For, nobody's tried to attack it with nuclear weapons, but you have to, again, you have to drop a nuclear bomb on you and on me and on every single node in the world. And, and so you have to, yeah, you have to yeah, bring in complete nuclear holocaust of the entire world in order to try to take down Bitcoin. And people hear that and it's like, well, hold on a minute. How is this thing able yeah. to withstand something so powerful? So, because it's like the dandelion, you, it's everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Right? Everywhere that it exists, it exists in perfect synchronicity with every, with every other node of it which takes me back to the article I wrote on why it looks like alien technology. So, um, mm. yeah, so that, that we've kind of meandered off the path, but that the piece that I wrote about Satoshi, yeah, the piece That's that I wrote we about do here. the legendary treasure of Satoshi Nakamoto is, um, it is a nice piece. It's, it's maybe not the introductory piece for people. They may find it a little bit long. You know, I, I think for right. people who are just getting introduced, I, I have a book and it's a free book called My Bitcoin that you can get it swan.com slash why Bitcoin for free. And it's 27 very short articles, like many take less than two minutes to read. And the first one is just like why Bitcoin exists. Why did someone bother to create something? Wasn't, isn't our money good enough? And no, it's not. And then it explains why Bitcoin's different than anything you've seen and why you should choose Bitcoin. And it goes all the way um, through these series of short articles that I wrote. Uh, explaining different things that people ask about why Bitcoin, but it ends with um, it ends with an article called "Why Bitcoin is a Declaration of Peace," and it was a cute piece that I woke up one morning thinking, you know, people declare war, they never declare peace, and Bitcoin has been referred to as a peaceful revolution in many ways because it is a revolution. It's taking power away from the powers that be, but it's doing it without firing a shot. And it's doing it without forcing anybody, as I mentioned earlier. It's not forcing anybody to say, now you are in the realm of Bitcoin and you must accept Bitcoin and you must use Bitcoin. It's appealing to each individual individual to say, it, I will protect you mm-hmm. from debasement, from inflation, from theft, from seizure, if you choose. And if you don't want it, I go in peace. I leave you in peace. And uh, and that's what the growing ranks of Bitcoiners are. We're not. We're not an army. We're we're a movement of people who say, "Will you join us in peace? Uh, will you join us in peaceful exchange with one another?" Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I've gotten a lot of good feedback from about the book, especially from beginners or people passing the book along to beginners. And you can skip chapters; you don't have to read each and every single one of them. There's a bit of a linear structure, especially at the first few and the last few. Uh, but you can read it in any order, and you can skip portions if they're not of interest to you. To the point about Bitcoin being alien technology, obviously yeah. you have the white paper up on the wall behind you. Um, those who are listening can't can't see it. But um, when Carlos first started explaining Bitcoin to me, I was like, "Wait, what?" It didn't. I had the same kind of like yeah. I had the same kind of feeling. Like, okay, there's this must there's something really strange going on here. And I remember he sent me the white paper to read as part of my assignment, and I was sure I was sure I was going to read that white paper 
and there was going to be some spookiness around it or some notion of it being a non-human intelligence writing it. Like there was going to be something. And then I read the thing and I was like, this is profoundly human. Like there's nothing, there's no spookiness, no weirdness, no woo-woo in there at all. It's just like, it's clearly that a human being is writing this and this person has a character, you know, that shows up very subtly in, in in the language and the structure. It's like, there's nothing in here that I felt was, was weird or not, or, or alien or non-human at all. And I think that's, that's something that, that I remember that experience very clearly being surprised. Like, no, this is, is this real? Am I really looking, did someone pull this off? Yeah. There's a very interesting dichotomy, like all these different sides of the same coin, because when you read the white paper, it is, it's a very plain language as as plain language as you're going to get. You do need to understand what a few of these cryptographic functions mean, but for the most part, you can follow the grammar of it, at least, even if you don't understand what every single uh, sentence means. There's, there's one mathematical part of it, yeah. which is pretty short. The whole thing is remarkably short. Like you can, re- It's eight pages, so you can read it in mm-hmm. half an hour and kind of get through it on the first reading and say, okay, I understand 60% of it. You know, I, It kind of makes sense that there, there's blocks and there's linkages between them and there's digital signatures and whatever those things mean, I can see how they're all... Uh, start to come together and people can come and go. And and then if you run Bitcoin after you read the white paper, you can see what the white paper described happening on your computer. The blocks are syncing, they're downloading from other nodes, you're getting them, they're validating each of the transactions, they're all in there. And then if you get some Bitcoin, you see it come into your node, it, your recognition that your node recognizes that you're in control of these Bitcoin. And then if you send some back off to somebody, send maybe sent them to you, you can see them going on the blockchain to somebody else. And so it's like, oh, I, I like this works as advertised. And, uh, and, that's, and that's a really neat thing about it. But then the more you start to think about it, the more that feeling of, wow, nothing like this has ever existed before. This isn't, this isn't a human invention like other human inventions that I've seen. And that, that's what got me to write that article about why people wonder if Bitcoin is alien technology, because I wanted to focus in on those things that Bitcoin does that nothing else on earth does. And then when you've got something that that does one thing that nothing else on earth does, you're like, oh, well, this is a new invention. But when you suddenly have one thing show up out of the blue that does like four or five or six things that nothing else on earth has ever done before and does them in such a unique way, you start to say, well, hold on a minute. Where did this thing come from? Right? It doesn't look like it came from i know it's using things on earth i i I used to say like satoshi nakamoto i don't know if people get the tv show reference any anymore but he like he might he macgyvered together hash functions digital signatures and peer-to-peer technology to create something that no government in the world could stop right like so he like duct taped together these things that that he found lying around he didn't invent hash functions he didn't invent digital signatures he didn't invent peer-to-peer technology but he just put these things together these three relatively simple things in a way, and, and presented them to the world, and suddenly here's this thing that could be all the money in the world over time and that no government can stop and that no corporation can take over and just it runs itself and is is kind of lifelike. It, it, it's a process that, that, that never stops, that gets going and consumes energy and grows. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. And I think that's what people look at it and they say, okay, well, this feels, this feels like it comes from the spiritual realm or the alien realm or some inspired it's it's so inspired in its in innovativeness uh that that it makes them give their heads a shake and say how did this thing come to be all at once 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, as I'm as I'm hearing you speak about this, I'm I, I you're you're the fourth guest I've had on to talk about Bitcoin, right? And and so just to contrast the way that you articulate the spirit of this technology versus like what you see and what you pull out of it uniquely versus someone like a yeah. like a laser hodl you know, who who sees the geopolitical socioeconomic mm-hmm. kind of impact right uh, or alex svetsky who who treats you know bitcoin as like a, a, a almost like a tool of, right. of war of an, an anti-communist tool yeah. of, of a weapon of war in a way that's because he was on recently or, or carlos who takes apart the mechanics of it and is inspired by its own unique elegant structure and to hear the way like you said earlier you know bitcoin mm-hmm. helps show you you and there's Absolutely. a way in which that's true, in which you can look, like we yeah. as men can look can look into this thing and Bitcoin see ourselves reflected back at us and then yeah. articulate what Bitcoin we see. Bitcoin is a mirror. I, I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's all true. Yeah, I've written in at least three articles that Bitcoin is a mirror. It teaches you about you. And and you've just encapsulated it perfectly, right? Yeah. It's like, I see, by looking into Bitcoin, I see things about me, as I said in the legendary treasure, right, that I couldn't see before I had Bitcoin. Right, like my hopes are inspired by the way that I tell the story about Bitcoin, as Alex's are about the way he tells the story, as Carlos's are about the way he tells, and as Laser Hobble tells about his way, and as so many people do. Right, it is it allows you to be you. It inspires within so many people. Here's the part of me that I see in it that I want to make the emphasis about why I care about it. Right, and it, and and in that sense, it really is a mirror. So I have this. I have a very short article. The first time I think I ever wrote that Bitcoin is a mirror, it's called Bitcoin is a test. And it talks about how Bitcoin tests all these all these things about you. I, saw that one. I say in testing all these things about you and showing you the results of these tests, it teaches you about your patience. It teaches you about your conviction. It teaches you about how you learn. It teaches you about many of these things that we spoke. So in that sense, it is a mirror, right? It showed you, you. It showed you how much effort you're prepared to put in. It showed you which aspect of Bitcoin you were interested in studying, which aspects of Bitcoin, were you interested in studying? And which one weren't you interested in studying? So it is a reflection. Even if you're someone who rejects it right away, it shows you that, right? As a mirror, it shows you you're someone who's not interested in these things. Mm-hmm. And it teaches you about how you ask questions and how you and how you learn and what you're prepared to accept and what you want to validate and what you refuse to accept. There's phenomenon what we call Bitcoin derangement syndrome from people who reject Bitcoin and, and get quite deranged in mm-hmm. their objections to it which which often are irrational and i think that shows people that they're just not prepared to accept this degree of truth in their life this degree of validation and verification you know there's a fear i I don't want to overanalyze certain people who experience this but the the, yeah there's a few people who are just too afraid of the existence of this truth machine and and all they can do is in a panic, run away from it and, and say, it's a terrible thing. Don't look at it. Don't look into that mirror. Like they looked into the mirror and they really were terrified by what they saw. And, uh, and that's a sad situation to be in because you kind of hope that when you look in the mirror, you see the goodness in you, the brightness, the, the truth seeking in you. And so I still have hope for those people, but when at first glance, what you see is terror and it's you that you see, that's, um, that says a lot, unfortunately. I think that's a that's a beautiful call to some of the, the people, men and women who are listening to think that 
you can actually see yourself reflected in the in the mirror of Bitcoin. Because don't we all long, many of us long for that experience? Like, well, who am I really? And we go looking, particularly as men, for experiences to test us and shape us, you know, experiences for us to test ourselves against, whatever that may, whatever that may be. And it shows up in different ways. It can show up in deadlifting and it can show up in learning to cook or playing the guitar or doing things, yeah. doing do hard things, right? But the experience of encountering Bitcoin can actually show you who you are if you're willing to put in the work to engage with it. What a what a moving call to people like try, try, see what you see about yourself. Like what an incredible like and yes, this is real. Like we're not making this up. This is not like, you know, Will and Tom are just, you know, kicking around fun ideas. Like, no, these are real experiences that we've both had. And we're not the only ones. There are millions of people yeah. around the world yeah. that have had. And these I, I would add, like, it's a long journey. It does seeing yourself is not a quick snapshot. You're a really complicated thing. And, and it's a long journey right. to see yourself like you see yourself deeper and deeper as time goes on. Uh, I, I by no means claim to know myself perfectly well. I've discovered lots of things early on in my journey that I was really happy about. And then I discovered some things later on in my journey that I was like, wow, this is a weakness in character. There's a weakness in integrity. This is something you really need to look in an actual mirror and just look yourself in the face and say, well, what do I choose on this thing, how do I resolve this conflict that I have within myself about something or, or other? So once you start on that journey, again, it's, I think it's kind of hard to stop, uh, especially if, you're, if you make it your quest, your personal legend to discover who you truly are. I, I, I'm not going to say Bitcoin reveals everything to you about yourself, but it kickstarts this journey. And I, I, that's what you see with a lot of people in the Bitcoin uh, community. They are they're coming in touch with truths that they never knew were true and they're seeing how those truths interact with them. And then they're, in, and then they're eager for more or they're, or, or now they're confused by how to resolve this internal conflict of, well, I live in a world that's filled with injustice and I favor justice, but I can't do it all myself. And this, you know, and so they're just going deeper and deeper into this thing and it's not a straightforward path and you don't get immediate answers all the way. You just are learning more about yourself and the world around you with each passing moment. I think the positive thing that I'd say about this, if I, just in case I'm scaring people, is Bitcoin is growing and the movement is growing. More and more people are there. And, and when you do discover that it brings out honor in people, like one of the things that I've said is Bitcoin lures people initially. I'm, I'm not the only person who said this, but this is the way that I've said it. It's like a reverse trap. It lures people on the basis of greed, right? Just come, get rich quick. And then you step inside and it's like, mm -hmm. well, how about you might get rich. It might take a long time, but you'll discover yourself and learn about honor and integrity and, mor and morality in the process and discover who you really are. And you will realize that this is, matters more to you than buying a fancy sports car in the process. And so that's, that's why people say, you know, you don't change Bitcoin, Bitcoin changes you, and it changes you in this way, right? You come in corrupted by the fiat money system, saying, advertising at you, you want a Ferrari or a Mercedes or a fancy yacht or a condominium, this or that. You want to drink the finest whiskey and you come out of it saying, no, I want to know who I am. I want to meet, I want to spend my time with other people who are honorable. I want to build something to last. That makes a difference, and and how it does this is is by setting an example of itself acting with integrity and being built to last, and not itself seeking to be frivolous on spending things, but just to serve its function, to serve its purpose. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a remarkable mm-hmm. it's a remarkable experience that I find. You know, this word gets used a lot nowadays, but it's truly fascinating. You know, it's it, like f- fascinating is from believe it or not the same word the same root as fascism to right. bind together. You know, fast is the same word same word root, and so fascinating kind of like it binds mm-hmm. things together. It brings all the it's fascinating like it yeah. binds me together to want to investigate it. And Bitcoin is truly that, and I hope people can hear that in this conversation. Just how just how important that is, like. Bitcoin is it's a mirror, it's an adventure, it's a truth, it's a truth machine, you know, it's it's all these different things. It's it's all of them, and it's also none of them. It's just a piece of technology. Like, how are both of those things true at the same time? There's something, I don't know, I hesitate to use the word miraculous about it, but I wouldn't be the first one to use that word in description of it. Wow. Whew. That's another hour and a half of <laughs> Bitcoin, of Bitcoin talk. Exactly. Um, is exactly. there something else you wanted to tackle, or do you feel like we've maybe done enough? filling people's heads with Bitcoin propaganda for one day? Uh, never enough, but I, I would yeah. like to hear, if you don't mind, if you have another minute, I'd like to hear you talk about your latest oh, article, okay. Hello, Hello, I am Bitcoin. Because yeah, I think that's a really so important been, one for people to this, read. This is, um, there's been a number of people who said Bitcoin is very lifelike. Maybe, arguably, it's a lie. Ralph Merkel, one of the great cryptographers, and his some of his techniques are actually used in Bitcoin called Merkel trees, which are hashes of hashes put together in a tree. He said this is the first um, form of life on the internet uh, in one interview that he had with, with somebody. And a few other influential writers have written about Bitcoin being very similar in structure to how mycelium works, right? how, how, how the mushroom kingdom of life works, and I wrote one article about how it how it exhibits forms of being similar to the structure of a of a brain, how it might think. And I wanted to simplify this notion of how Bitcoin is lifelike, and uh, and so I wrote an article in the first person in Bitcoin's voice that begins by saying, "Hello, I'm Bitcoin. I'm an artificial life form. Hmm. That just means I'm a man-made life form." Hi. And then it proceeds to describe how it's alive uh, and how it and how it's lifelike and uh, and what it means to be an artificial life form of its of its nature. About a nine minute read. The reactions have been really positive. Uh, the, the, the most uh, exciting reaction I had is the person who first introduced me to Bitcoin, who I've had hundreds of hours of discussion with about Bitcoin including at various points in time saying, look at how it's lifelike. Isn't this bizarre? And he was like, nah, it's just like a company or this and that. He finally read this piece and, or he read this piece and he finally said, you've convinced me. Bitcoin is much more like a living thing than it is like a corporation uh, or some other entity. And so I, I feel like I've done something there, but I've also tried to write it in the voice. So many people are interact are talking to a machine now in their chats with GPT-3, you know, and, and so th- there's a style the GPT speaks to people, which I've kind of imitated a little bit. It speaks in first person, very short sentences. Um, GPT-3 is very wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. I did not make Bitcoin's voice wishy-washy. I made it very crystal clear and self-identifying. So it's clear because uh, I think I think when GPT-3 talks and is wishy-washy, it's because its programmers designed it to be wishy-washy, right? It's like, well, we don't want anyone suing us for saying that we said something. Yes. So we'll, the opening paragraph will say, it's important mm-hmm. to remember that I'm just a robot and that whatever I say may be wrong and that no one should take any advice literally. Mm-hmm. 
Having said that, here's some wishy-washy speak. And just as a reminder, don't trust anything that I say. And lots of people disagree with everything in the world. And so there's not, nobody knows anything. So GPT-3 is basically this machine that says nobody knows anything. But Bitcoin here in this piece says, I know I exist. And here's how I exist. And here's how I exist in symbiosis with human beings. And here's what I give to human beings. And here's what they give back to me in exchange. And here's how I'm artificial. And here's how you might define life in the context of artificiality. And here's how you might define what death would mean for me. And here's how you might define uh, what ongoing life would mean to me. And there's a couple of short appeals to emotion in there, but they're not, this article isn't going to make anybody cry. It's just going to make someone thoughtful. And um, I'm trying to think about, uh, and, and it kind of ends by saying, I'll be seeing you around because I intend to be alive for for quite a while. So, uh, so I think it's interesting. I mean, there are people who think the internet is in many ways alive. I, I, I see the internet as being cyberspace as opposed to cyber life, but I see, I see Bitcoin, Bitcoin. The, the main reason why I think it's comparable to life is it's a process that started. that keeps on going and that it consumes energy and, and, and matter. And in consuming energy and matter, it produces something of a mark of its life and it's traceable throughout and if it were to stop then we would call it dead but it's not like a computer that turns on and off and on and off again that just starts and restarts bitcoin has never been restarted bitcoin started and it's been an ongoing process since the moment that it started that keeps on going and keeps on growing and keeps growing bigger and bigger part of what's interesting about it when you view it as the first of its kind of digital life artificial life is you don't know, like because it's the first that's ever come around of its kind and the only one of its kind, you don't know what to expect from it next. In a sense, you know that it's going to keep adding one block to its blockchain every 10 minutes, but how it, its impact on the world is what we don't know. Like, will it become all the money in the world? I, I say, you know, my, what its purpose is in its, in its first person voice, it says something like, you know, my purpose is to accompany humankind on its journey through time, maintaining a perfect an indestructible and unchangeable record of okay, of the units of my account or something, some, something to that effect, mm-hmm. right? And and that's its job. It's it's like it accompanies us. It's a companion that keeps track of things. It keeps a rec- it keeps a record, an honest record. Um, and so it's this being of record keeping that keeps us. And honest record keeping is something that we can't trust human beings to do, but this artificial life form can be relied upon to do it and to do it for everybody in the world and to keep everybody in perfect agreement. One of the things it says, imagine everybody in the world agreeing on something. I am that thing. <laughs> it's, like, it's a consensus algorithm. Like nobody agrees on anything. Even two Bitcoiners don't agree about Bitcoin, why Bitcoin exists, right? Like Alex and Laser Hoddle and Carlos and I all think it's something different, but we all agree on the state mm-hmm. of Bitcoin's data. We all agree that it's record. We agree to not we're mostly in agreement we're literally 100 percent in agreement as you are right? your node has the exact same data in it as my node as alex's mm-hmm. and laser hoddles and carlos's node so we're all in perfect agreement uh, about this one thing and everybody in the world who runs bitcoin is in perfect agreement about this one thing that's unprecedented um, and and it's not that we're in agreement on something that never changes we're in agreement on something that changes every 10 minutes 
And we're in perfect agreement about that thing that changes every 10 minutes without having to consult mm-hmm. with it. So this is, this is one of the historic things about Bitcoin. We've never had anything that we can all agree, even be aware of necessarily within 10 minutes, within every 10 minutes, let alone in complete agreement of it, because we all agree to its rules and, and its actions. And we're all able to interact with it. And if I interact with it, you agree that I interacted with it in the same way that I say that I interacted with it. Really profound. Maybe a lot. Thank you for all that. Ins- no, well, thank you for all that. Um, all that inspiration. I mean, these are the these are the things that I think you know. We're going through days that feel um, and seem particularly dark, right? Yeah, it's been a few it's years. been a difficult. It's been a difficult couple of years. I went and picked years. up food from a restaurant to, to, today for my daughter yeah. for her birthday. She's got an immunocompromised condition, so we've been really extra careful because the thing that's out there could really affect her. And she had a terrible thing. And I, so I, I Googled this restaurant's name and it says you, the last time you were, you haven't been here in four years. And I was like, Holy cow. This is a restaurant we used to go to every month or two for dim sum, you know, for this like Chinese lunch. And I hadn't been there and it was really like three and a half years, but Google was rounding up, but still, you know, like to, to have missed out on, that joyful experience for that long a period of time and to not have really know to just know that we're missing out on stuff. This has been a really hard time and hard on families and hard on men. I'm sure very hard on women and very hard on children, but I know for a fact, really hard on men, like uh, that sense of leaving the house to go and do something. Well, nobody's, we're working from home. We're questioning our purpose. We, many of us got sidelined in fulfilling our purpose and that was ex- witnessed by our whole family. So it's been, it's been tough. It's been a really tough time. And uh, I hope Bitcoin fixes this too. But I, and I just hope we're coming out of this. But it takes a lot of resilience to rebuild one's purpose and re-demonstrate it to your family, but to you, right? to, to look in the mirror and say, I have a purpose and I'm pursuing it and I'm actualizing it, working towards it at least. Would you I, say that Bitcoin yes, has given that to I, you? I think I've, I found myself personally unemployed really for the first time in my life in after like April of 2020, the company that I was leading was one of these companies that even before government regulations about this came in, like we did classroom training and keynote speaking and everyone was canceling every event because of COVID voluntarily, right? They didn't have to be ordered to do it. Mm. So we went to nothing very quickly. And so I, I was trying to reduce expenses and I was, I was administrative expense. So I, re- I removed myself and it turned out that it was taking quite a bit of time. I wasn't having much success finding anything in this crazy COVID environment. So at one point, I said, "No, I'm going to take care of Bitcoin, and I hope Bitcoin will. T- I expect Bitcoin will take care of me in return. I'm going to start writing about Bitcoin." And I started writing about Bitcoin, and one thing led to another, and I ended up getting a following and getting paid to do it, becoming a becoming a paid writer, and uh, and so it provided me a path up until now to reassert myself and find out that I've got something to give to the world that nobody else does. So I found my unique voice and I discovered a big part of myself. And now I'm wondering, do I branch out onto the next thing? Do I have more runway in, in this thing? So 
the self-discovery process is a really big is a really big one. Um, it takes you down these paths. So Bitcoin for sure did it for me. Thank you for everything that you've written that, that's helped do the same for me. Thank you for giving my purpose purpose. <laughs> right. Like it's you know, when that when the writing connects with somebody, yeah, that's much exactly. more important than actually getting paid for it. Because right? I don't I I write to have these ideas have impact on other people, you know, in a beneficial way. I don't not to force the ideas on others, but to have others noodle them around and be inspired by them so that they do something that inspires other people and the world becomes a richer place as a result. That's a big part of, that's a big part of what I learned about myself in this process that it's always nice to get paid in money to do your work, but the purpose of work has always really been a big driver for me. And this has been very purposeful work. I think it's been, I mean, I think it's been, yeah, Bitcoin is a blessing. Like you can look at it as money or technology yeah. or whatever, but there's a way in which it's really a yeah, blessing. I agree. We've been blessed by Satoshi's gift and, uh, and it's worth appreciating it. And I think many people do. And every day, more and more people seem to, because of the work that those of us who are trying to communicate what a gift it is and what a blessing it is are doing. And so we bring blessings into people's lives by this blessing into people's lives and so when you have this one blessing, other blessings sprout from it, like friendships. Right? You and I have only spoken twice now. This is our second time speaking, but I'm pretty sure we're friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, thank you for uh, blessing me with your time and with your wisdom and, and, and where we're really, where we're uh, this for the second time. And uh, where would you like to send men to uh, to find out more about you and potentially yeah, so be blessed by your work in Bitcoin um, as well? The book, uh, swan.com slash why Bitcoin is where you can get it. It's a great beginning, uh, fun book. Uh, my medium is where a lot of my stuff is as well. The, the, there's articles in there. There's a collection called Who Are the Bitcoiners, which really talks about the person, the people, not about Bitcoin itself and the the most popular article in that series is called Bitcoiners are not toxic. They have integrity, which speaks to pe- people often accuse Bitcoiners of being toxic. But I point out it's actually the virtue of integrity that they're referring to as toxicity. So there's quite a few articles there, including Bitcoin as a test. And there's a really nice short one called Rich or Poor Bitcoiners Have What Money Can't Buy. And then I've got a whole other collection on uh, deep takes on Bitcoin. Uh, I made a short movie with a director and an editor um, that's on YouTube called Bitcoin is Generational Wealth. It's only 14 minutes long. I think for people who want to see why Bitcoin came about and what hope Bitcoin promises for the future, it's interesting. So Bitcoin is Generational Wealth. Search for that with my name at the end on YouTube and you'll find it. It was uh, supported by Swan Bitcoin and Bitcoin Magazine, MicroStrategy and funded by a company called Mises Capital. So I'm grateful to to those uh, sponsors. Hmm. And then there's, uh, there's lots of podcasts and stuff, but I think that's a really good starting point. That's more than enough to keep someone busy for a little while. And if you like, if you like what you see, follow me on Twitter at Tomer Strolight or on Damas or like on Noster, but I, I don't know my pub key off by heart, but you can find it on my Twitter. And, uh, and that's probably more than enough. And I do respond to, I am open for DMs. And if somebody wants to ask questions, uh, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> 
Well, thanks for having me on, Will. I really appreciate it. It's been a very fun conversation. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.